Hello everyone, welcome to Cave to the Cross Apologetics. I am Patrick and uh, today we are bringing on a very good friend of mine and I say that knowing that he's on camera and he can't dissuade me from saying very good friend, but uh, but I've gotten to know him over the past, I think, year. Uh, he's invited me again and again to his uh, trivia show, which uh, we always need a third or fourth place and I, I tend to fill that role quite well, uh, but, uh, but uh, we're talking today about church history and how Christians today should view the history of the church, or should we? Uh, and and so uh, I, I brought on a man who I've been wanting to talk to for a while about this subject because I think uh, it's it's one of those where y- you get into apologetics and you just start reading everything. And then you're like, okay, well, what do I do with this? And then we get into theology and we go, okay, what do we do with this? And uh, I think church history tends to be one of those that we put on the on the back burner for last and then we go, well, there seems to be a lot of difficult stuff here because it involves people. Once you get people involved, it's hard. Perfect God, way easier than a bunch of people who, uh, who think baptizing uh, Vikings will uh, suddenly bring them to, uh, to the, 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 the fruition of, of the body of Christ and, and stop attacking them so that they can uh, live. Uh, but uh, that's what we see. So uh, Troy Frazier, who is one half of the Revived Thoughts podcast, that's part of the Revived Thought, uh, revived Studios, which will soon be the Empire, uh, with his co-host Joel, is the sh- is uh, it's a show that uh, takes forgotten sermons from church history, gives you the background on the speaker or sermon, and has guest speakers read the actual sermons. And I've been gracious enough to give them my voice three times. Okay, maybe the opposite way. Uh, they've got about uh, three hundred thousand downloads in seventy countries. They also have. Martyrs and Missionaries, which I always say this, and it's true, but you have to check out Elisa's um, uh, 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 series on Japan and the loss of Christianity there. It's amazing. It should be a book. It needs to do something a lot. It's great. Uh, Revived uh, Devos, which are devotionals, and then Revived Radio, which are sermons kind of once heard on the airways that uh, of, of radio. There was this thing back in the day called radio, and, uh, <laughs> and uh, they're kind of bringing it back. So they're history people that are bringing us to today. The more that I, I teach history and learn it with my kids during homeschool, the more I go, oh, we've done this all before. And so uh, I, I, I view a special place in, in, in my heart for uh, history and learning from it for today. And I also have to mention that he is a overseas missionary and you can support him through missionquest.org. So Troy, thank you, thank you very much for coming. Patrick, I wouldn't miss it. You, you are, you are underselling yourself, sir. You have done great sermons for us, and you are one of the fastest people in the history of the series. When I was like, "Oh shoot, I need a sermon like right now," Patrick had it. He was like, uh, "Did you need that this hour or yesterday?" Because it's already done. I mean, it was amazing. So he is a wonderful friend to our programs, and we're very grateful. Also, I'm glad you mentioned Elisa's Martyrs and Missionaries on Japan because. I don't know how many other people, that's a true fan right there. I don't know how many other people can mention that one. I think it was just an amazing series. Her part two, where she explains this part of where Christianity went in Japan during the late 1800s, 1900s, very applicable for today uh, and what we're kind of going through in the West. And also, I think uh, most people don't know it. They don't They don't even know about the right. second revival of Christianity in Japan right. and how it kind of got quashed by the Japanese Empire. So wonderful, wonderful stuff. Uh, so yeah, I'm very excited to be here. I love talking about church history. Patrick will have to shut me up at some point because I can go on forever. That's right. And and that, that that's why I brought you on because I knew you could go on forever. And so 
Uh, we, we've got we've got a string to go down because um, one of your Twitter posts kind of uh, inspired this this interview because it's it's one of the things that I think uh, uh, hits on the button well for how Christians today view church history and that we kind of put it in the back and we put it in the closet and we put our jackets on top of it and then we stack the toys <laughs> that our, our kids are outgrown and we might pull it out every once in a while and, and take a look at it and go, oh, that, that was nice, and then we'll put it back back in the closet. Mm-hmm. Um, but first, uh, tell us about what is uh, uh, Revive Thought Studio. Um, how, did, how did you start it out? What, 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 what sure. drove the passion to, uh, to, to lend your voice to the voiceless? Sure. So, and if you are listening and thinking, oh, so, you know, Troy speaks all the sermons, don't worry. My voice doesn't speak all the sermons. So you're not just getting this nasal thing the whole way through. It'll, you get lovely voices like Patrick and many others who bring their voices to revive thoughts. However, I will be honest. I think I can speak like a lot of people, maybe even more so. I thought I knew church history very well. I went to Bible college, took four years. Church history is a required course. I thought I understand church history. You know, the, the apostles leave Jerusalem um, Roman Empire falls, Martin Luther's nailing some stuff, Puritans come to America, Charles Spurgeon preaches, bada bing, bada boom, right? Like that was how I, I, I but I would, if you had asked me, I'd be like, of course I know, I know history. And I was a big history nerd. I loved history. I've always loved history. So I would have thought I knew church history. The more I study church history, the more I realize, oh my gosh, not only do I not know church history, I don't even know real history because so much of our real history is being led, especially in the West, by the church and by Christians. And if you try to understand history, if you try to understand the founding of America, if you try to understand the Revolutionary War, if you try to understand the 1800s and the 1900s, but you take away the church, you cannot understand all the things that are happening very well at all. And yet that's exactly what history does. You go to school, you grow up, you learn history. And then if you're lucky, you learn church history almost as a side subject. You don't realize the church has been leading so much of history for so long. And a good good way to apply that would be try to understand the Roe versus Wade decision if you didn't understand that the church has been fighting like mad to get Roe versus Wade overturned for the last 50 years. You know, 100 years from now, in the history books, it'll be Roe versus Wade was overturned. And it might say Christian nationalist extremists, you know, caused that to occur. But it will almost nothing will be talked about how for 50 years the church was deeply ingrained into its communities and people will not understand how that came about. And if you take that same application and apply it to the rest of history, you start to realize just how little you understood what was going on for so much of history. Church history leads so much. And yet, like you said, Patrick, if, if you know, theology is the king, down below is apologetics. And I think apologetics, you know, is a very good subject to study. And then way down at the bottom is going to be church history. And yet we've got that. I don't want to say we should put church history on top or even apologetics on top. I'm saying those three should be studied concurrently and together. They help you understand each other. And a lot of times church history is looked at as basically like, okay, if I need to prove my theology, where can I go to in the 1700s or 1800s to prove some theological point? This makes a lot of sense when you remember that most of the people writing church history today are seminarians or they're professors, right? Like they go to these places, schools of theology, and then they turn around and, you know, students are required to go and learn in the church history course. And so they want to know theology, but they're getting this church history on the side. And again, that's just not the best way 
to teach it. Imagine if, you know, in the same way you had to teach law, but a bunch of seminarians were teaching it. How would seminarians teach law? Well, they would have a huge emphasis on how they could pull theology out of that law, right? But are they the best people to teach law? Are they the best people to make lawyers? Maybe not so much. At least they need to work with the best people. But a lot of times history is subservient. It only exists to prove the theological points of the theology professors. And I, I think we've got to get away from that and get to this point, because the, the, the part about church history that's funny is it breaks down all the theology points. It's no matter what, if you're a Calvinist, you're going to find some really great Arminians in church history. If you're an Arminian, you're going to find some great Calvinists in church history. It'd be really nice if everyone was in your camp in church history. Like, wouldn't that be great if all the good guys were in your camp and all the bad guys weren't? But that's just not the way God worked at all. He used people <laughs> from different camps. And even at times, different camps were better than they were. And regardless of how we feel about it, six to 700 years ago, all the Christians, for the most part, were Catholic. And we can't really do anything about that as much as we'd like them to be, you know, Protestant. The Protestants didn't exist back then. So that's where we found the Christians, except for in Ethiopia and stuff like that. So the point being... I have this huge passion for church history, but I started out in the same place as most people, which is I thought I knew it. I didn't really care that much about it. Uh, I got a book of sermons, started reading through it, realized these would be really cool if someone recorded them, realized that all the stuff in them were outside copyright, so anybody could do what they wanted with them. And Joel and I... Uh, it took a year and a half to plan out Revive Thoughts, launched it when we explained it to everybody and said, no, it's old sermons, but you get to listen to them and we'll tell you the backstory. Nobody, nobody got it. It took so long to get those first 10 sermons recorded so we could release with episodes. Uh, but ever since then, we've asked volunteers who listen to come in and speak the sermons. And the Lord has provided us with so many wonderful people like Patrick who have come on, who've spoken and brought these sermons to life throughout the years and kept the show going now well over three years. And the only thing wrong with what Patrick said earlier was that our stats are kind of old because we're actually at half a million downloads across go. the studio now. Yeah. So we've been growing and growing and we're, we feel quite blessed uh, by how much God has used these. Great. Yeah, a uh, lot, lot to say there. Uh, we're going to cover uh, some of what, what you talked about uh, a little bit more in depth uh, as we go on. Um, but I think, too, uh, uh, j just to kind of build off that, because uh, this is my show, too, and I can add to the, that comment, um, that, uh, that I think a, a good majority of us probably only have the history that we went through with school. And we, we you know, we might have covered some world history, but it was always a touchstone back to America. And it was America of... Uh, learn it through the, the the sacraments of these presidents or these wars, and, and those those are kind of the begin and end. So, you, you know, when, when you think about uh, uh, splitting up American history, it's always before and after Reconstruction, and that's the dividing line between as, as where we're at right now with that. But then you, if, if you read outside of that, you go, here's all these books that are that the school didn't want you to know, or the the untold history of this important person that that changed the, the life. Or you thought you knew Abraham Lincoln? Well, guess what? He's a tyrant. And so, uh, the, the, right now, I think is is a, a good uh, movement to um, kind of reevaluate what we have learned from our our days of old, and um, as we uh, continue to build up the next generation of our families of Christians, and hopefully. Um, through podcasts like yours that we can kind of have a, a fuller understanding that uh, not all the good guys are bad uh, or not all the good guys are fully good and not all the bad guys are fully bad. And also uh, sometimes uh, uh, it's, it's hard to, to distinguish uh, uh, in the moment or uh, in history, uh, you know, where that, where that fault lies 
uh, bet- between the two. Okay. Uh, Revive Studios. So uh, I've seen you have a sermon before, and you're like, listen, I've got like days left for this sermon to be sent to the reader. And you, you've, you've got words in there with N's that are F's and T's that are H's. What's what's the prep process for you? Yeah, so for every episode of Revive Thoughts, um, which is, you know, different than our other podcasts, we are getting sermons from the past, and those are usually written in Old King's English, but you don't want to listen to Old King's English. That would be very boring for you, or you'd have to have a lot of patience. And our show actually has found it does really, really well with English as second language learners because they want Mm. to listen to... Interesting. Puritans or old people or whatever, St. Augustine, but they can't, it's very difficult for somebody from the Philippines who speaks English, but not as a first language to listen to the thigh thou, you know, Aoist and all that stuff. Well, we edit all the sermons, we modernize it, we try to make it sound as if you were listening to a live sermon being preached. And we've had many people, this is the whole goal, and when they say this, this is awesome, but they say, wow, it's like I'm sitting in the pew, it's just the person preaching is, you know, 800 years old and they died a long time ago. And I'm like, that's exactly what we wanted it to feel like when you listen to the show. And that's especially great for people, again, who are young. We have middle schoolers and high schoolers who said they listen to our show. We have people who are quite elderly who can't get out and about. We have professors, pastors, uh, radio hosts, people from around the world. And it's just such a unique, the series does not appeal to one group. You know, when we first started it, we were told like, hey, professors and academia will love that show. And I was like, "I, I hope you're wrong. Like, I hope it's actually not... Um, just really popular with this one niche group of people. If anything, the professors in academia are the ones who have problems with us. It's most of the <laughs> average people really enjoy it, and they like the fact that it is, you know, it, it is, takes the editing. And it sometimes, I mean, I don't know if you've ever read a book by a Puritan or you've ever read anything by Jonathan Edwards. I just recently cut an 85-page sermon down to 40 pages, and you're probably thinking, oh, you deleted 50% of the content. I assure you, he was just repeating himself. <laughs> um, and finding, <laughs> and the a, finding a very long... <laughs> Yeah, and finding a very long-winded way to say the same thing over and over again. I look at our edits much more like in the Bible when we when we you know take a manuscript, we should. I'm a big NASB ESV. Like I want it direct, and I want it as God wrote it. I'm not really interested in the message. But when it comes to sermons, our editing is much more the message style. We're making it very easy to enjoy. We don't, I promise you, I don't change what they're saying. I never took something and thought, oh, I'd like it if he said that more Calvinistically. Or I like it if he'd say that less charismatically. Like those things don't happen. Um, But I do make it a little bit more easy to digest because sometimes, you know, there are times too where like they'll be mentioning somebody in the sermon. Like I've had people where they'll start talking to a person in the pew and I'm like, I'm not going to keep that because we don't know what happened to old Zedekiah the (laughs) third and we're not in his church anymore. So we don't need to worry about that. But some of these sermons, we're quite blessed to be able to say like, we have literally pulled some out of the catacombs of history. Uh, We have two different sermons by David Livingston that we we contacted the Livingston Foundation. They're like, he only has two speeches he ever did. We put them together, edited them. Like they were quite literally on a shelf in a library, George Matheson. There's a lot. One was literally a book that was inside of an Australian library. They had it publicly available for a few months and they pulled it. So you literally, the only place in the world you can get that sermon is from us. Like there are just things like that where quite the world would have forgotten them. And then we kind of were able to scoop in and bring them back to life. And those are my absolute favorite things to do because I truly feel like we're helping give these people a voice again. And people, you're, you would be blown away how much a sermon from 800 years ago hits you today and how much you'll go, wow, that was very convicting. And, and it's weird because on the one hand, like the sermon doesn't sound that different than 
a sermon you'd hear today, like listening to it, you go, that doesn't sound that different. If you had told me this was somebody down the street, I wouldn't have known. And yet I feel like these sermons just have a way of being courageous and uncompromising that I think sometimes we lose today. And so even though they don't sound that different, the truths they're hitting, I think, hit pretty hard. Yeah, uh, the one of them that I read, uh, Gregory of Nancyans, uh, I believe it was uh, 800 AD, uh, some, somewhere around there. No, maybe, it's maybe uh, before like that, 300, 300 AD. 300, 300 yeah. AD. The, the, the love that he has for the church, uh, the, 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 the passion that he has for their sanctification, and uh, it, was, it was just done— uh, you know, in, in, in like in, in a grassy field, and he's preaching this this kind of sermon of of dedication. Uh, I, I was I was amazed at how passionate uh, it was because you think ye of old, you know, they're they're staunch people. They they they've they've got no fire in their belly for for anything that uh, you know. They're they're just trying to live to the next meal. But uh, the 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 joy that he had, and I I always take two two reads uh, when I do it. I, I always you know read it to myself, then I do a a, a prep and and find the inflections. And that one I had to to really undo and go. Okay, he's he's I I feel like he has more more uh, love in his in his heart and his words of of dedication uh, of going through that. And that was really interesting to see. Or or. Uh, getting the collection of John Gill's uh, uh, sermons because I I found his one just let's remember this uh, 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 terrible uh, event that happened that that yeah. caused uh, destruction to England and that there are still some survivors with us today and we're remembering that um, just just his passion for his church for remembering that for um, for for tying it to scripture and saying you know uh, in, in the storms God can be trusted um, I. I had no clue who John Gill was. I didn't realize how influential he was within the the scope of 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 even you know the the with anybody. There's always problems with everybody. Uh, but uh, but I was trying to find his church, and it's just some parking lot now. And just the, those those uh, those those yeah. moments of like finding that person that kind of speaks to you within within history is is really neat and. Uh, it's made me spend a lot more money. So uh, my, my wife doesn't thank you at all. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's actually really interesting that you made that point too, that his church is a parking lot now, because that's something else. So many of the people, A, I constantly find people, I'm like, I have no idea who this is. And then I look a little bit more into them and I'm like, oh, they're really important. But <laughs> right. then again, like that actually happens to me in real life too. Like we had Dr. Oz Guinness on. And to me, I just was like, oh, cool. He's the great grandson of Henry Grattan Guinness. And he's a speaker. I'm going to have him on. And later on, people were like, you know, he's like a really big deal. Like he's got a bunch of books. He's been on a bunch of radio yeah. programs. Like he's a really old school legend. I was like, oh, well, to me, he's the great grandson of Henry Grattan Guinness. <laughs> and that was why I had him on. And okay, well, now I feel lame for not knowing how important he was. Um, and we're going to have him on again too, again soon. So I'm looking forward to that. But great. yeah, so that's, I mean, that's not just dead people. I do that with living people <laughs> as well. Um, so what, what are but, some of the yeah. kind of the, the, the surprising facts, uh, maybe one or two that has stood out over your three years or, or who are some of those, okay. who are some of those unsung heroes or even sung heroes that you had more appreciation for like is, is okay. Spurgeon, is Spurgeon really 
that good? Yes. Is he really yeah. the prince of he preachers? Is. Does he, he earn is. that title? I will, def- I will defend him. <laughs> I have I have more. I don't want to say I have more experience with old sermons than the than most people. I, I would think I'd probably do though. And I will say Spurgeon is top of the game. They're okay. really you know right. it is not an overhyped title. Now that doesn't mean Spurgeon is the only one. Uh, for example, a contemporary of his, D. L. Moody, is also extremely good. He doesn't get nearly the same hype, but he is very quotable. He tells amazing anecdotes. I think there are a lot of people who are who are very similar close to as good as Spurgeon but Spurgeon is the tippity top for a reason and I, I have a hard time thinking of people who who I of all of the most impactful sermons in my own personal life two of them are probably from Spurgeon um, compel them to come in and another one he had on charity just really got me really good so I can certainly say that yeah I think he's up there in the league one person I would say that you, your audience everyone's probably heard of Jonathan Edwards um, this one's a surprise. So this is taking a famous person we know. It surprises me a little bit. People always go, okay, like he, I, this was a very common phrase. Maybe you've heard it if you've ever looked into Jonathan Edwards. You know, he's so much more than sinners in the hands of an angry uh, God. And I would like to tell everyone, no, all of his sermons are some version of sinners in the hands of an angry God. And that's exactly why Jonathan Edwards is so powerful. And that's exactly why in my research, I find that he not only helped lead the first great awakening, but Asahel Nettleton, who became saved through Jonathan Edwards's writings and then went to go preach. His sermons are very similar to Jonathan Edwards. And he helped spark, and he literally sparked the second Great Awakening. Two Great Awakenings both come through Jonathan Edwards. Why? Because Jonathan Edwards preached hell and heaven as if he believed in those places and as if he believed that the people in front of him would go to one of those two places. And that was such a powerful thing. It's still such a powerful thing that it awakens the spirit of those who listen to him. Mm. But despite all of that and what he's known for in his day, he was known for David Brainerd's journal. And I think that gets missed a lot is that we think of him as a theologian or we think of him as a preacher. He was both of those things. But the number one, his number one selling book was the diary of David Brainerd. And in his day, if you were living in 1794, you know, 25 years or so removed from Jonathan Edwards, it would have been the diary of David Brainerd would have been most likely the book of his that you owned. And it was that movement that inspired that book that pretty much single-handedly inspired the missionary century of the 1800s that I think is Jonathan Edwards' greatest legacy. Hmm. And so that was a surprising thing going in. I had heard of Jonathan Edwards, the preacher. Everyone kind of has heard of sermons and sinners in the hands of an angry God. I had not realized Jonathan Edwards, the heart for missions and how that bled into so much of our church history. Interesting. But as for unsung heroes, my goodness, there are so, so many. It's like, where do you even begin? Um, I, I Almost every day, I feel like I find someone else. That I'm like, how do I, Savonarola is probably one of my favorites because you kind of maybe have heard of him. He, he was in Italy and... Florence, he went up against the Medici family for a couple years. He actually ran the city. He got rid of the rampant wanton sin, and he got the people to live a morally righteous life until the Medici family pulled strings, got the Catholic Church to come down and basically get him executed. And when they did, the people threw one of the most licentious parties of all time. John Calvin and Martin Luther both said Savonarola was part of the inspiration for their movements. And they were sad that Savonarola had not succeeded in Florence because what he was trying to do was so good. In fact, John Calvin said that Geneva was directly trying to finish, you know, like was trying to take Savonarola and finish what he had done that he wasn't able to do in Florence. He was going to kind of do in, in, in Geneva. And so these guys really respected this dude who 
in history, if you have heard of him, he's kind of a joke. Like he's like a creepy, crazy religious tyrant, but the people of his time actually looked up to the work he did and kind of wished Florence had succeeded instead of killing him instead. Hmm. Interesting. Wow. Um, so then what you're saying is that the, 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 the words spoken uh, that were inspired by God's word uh, are still applicable for us today. <laughs> and, yes. and sometimes the important people that we think of uh, are currently going on today will be lost to the annals of history, but yeah. also maybe the opposite uh, will occur. So I, I think I would say you have no idea. <laughs> like that is what I, there are people jc ryle toiled away for 10 years in complete obscurity but he would take every sermon and spend hours getting it publishable and ready to distribute even though he was a nobody in a nobody town now eventually when he gets to london guess what he has all his sermons ready to go he's able to distribute them he's able to publish them he's able to use them as pamphlets and brochures and tracts and they're very useful but for 10 years for an entire decade he was working away in obscurity he did not know right George Mueller, he did not know he was going to be running five orphan houses and be one of the most famous, you know, Christians of all time. And now he's forgotten. If you go to the or, to those original orphan houses now and ask them, hey, where's George Mueller? They'll take out like a cardboard box and be like, here's some pictures. Like he's completely <laughs> forgotten in his own place. And yet he was one of the most, he's the father of modern orphanages, right? And now he's forgotten. He, at the time when he first said, I'm going to build an orphanage and take care of children, he had no idea. And Charles Spurgeon, when the downgrade controversy was going on, he got destroyed by his denomination. 2000 to seven, they said, you're wrong. You know, what we're doing is fine. This, you know, we're not drifting from conservative morals. We're not getting more liberal. You're incorrect, Spurgeon. And we disagree with you. Spurgeon leads a denomination over it. And he basically, his health fails because all his friends have turned against him. His wife basically accuses like this liberal drift is what kills him younger than he probably should have died. And yet at the, to the very end, he said, history will see that I was right about this. It took a while, but then eventually we all go, oh, wait a second, theological liberalism is bad. This is, <laughs> right. he's 10 years ahead of for the Princeton people saying this. He was years ahead of Jay Gresham Machen. He's mm -hmm. years ahead of B.B. Warfield really getting it. He's one of the first people to say it, but history was right. He was vindicated. He was correct. He early on saw people were drifting from biblical traditional values when it came to the way we live out our faith. And he said, this is gonna hurt us in the end. Yeah, we so see, we see that with like know. Ian Huss and and would would Luther be the Luther we know without the, those those heretical writings in a library that he was able to to find yeah. and you know burned at the stake uh, uh, t taken your your bones are, are crushed and burned even more mm -hmm. and then scattered to the winds that's how dangerous an idea uh, you have when you're like hey, maybe Catholicism isn't the way. And they're like, okay, hold on, wait a second. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, it, 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 takes, it takes a Luther to, to come and, yes. and humble himself and, and, and um, uh, you know, uh, t take his hammer out from, from there. Um, there are okay. people who hear Martin Luther's name and they'll go, oh, you know, he said some mean things or he wasn't the <laughs> nicest. I'm like, you can only say that because Martin Luther did what he did and cleared the way for you to be away from the Catholic Church yeah, right. uh, to say those kind of things. You know what I mean? If you if it hadn't been for Luther and the Reformation, we wouldn't be able to talk about things like that because we would have to be very careful the priest didn't overhear us. Yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, and just 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 all the things that I've learned from your show of, of oh, th that was done in church history. Uh, uh, yeah. It's it's surprising, uh, you know, the elements of the table and and threatening to give 
the 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 people on Christmas uh, Eve day, uh, you know, the, the the elements when they're they weren't worthy enough. Uh, it's just it's crazy to 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 think that we we've we've come from that, for, and that was like that was a thing that would have sent uh, uh, religious soldiers into churches and and arrested priests. Yeah. No, we, we are very blessed to live in the time we do, because when you study church history, as bad as things are, you can certainly see. So church history is kind of a double-edged sword, because on the one hand, you look at it and you go, well, in all history is this way. Oh, shoot, I see the path we're going down. I think I know what's coming next. This isn't good. <laughs> on the other side of it, though, you go, but we've lived through worse. Mm -hmm. And I look at the people who got through those harder times. They made it, so we're going to, and if I don't make it, I'm still going to be faithful. And so there's a bit of a, I'm both encouraged, because I know we can come through this the other side, but I'm also discouraged because I can now see clearly that those problems that I think are going to be real, they are going to be real problems. Believe me, they're going to be big. Right. The, the temple has to be burned. Uh, we have to be kicked out of Jerusalem or, yeah. uh, you know, we, we have to tell people that, uh, that uh, Jesus is Lord and we're kicked out by five different uh, uh, Caesars and five different churches and five different time periods. Or, or, or we're, we're forced to, uh, to, to take the gospel to uh, the Native Americans, because, uh, uh, you know, this famous preacher is is now uh, mm -hmm. uh, kicked out. Uh, uh, but then the proliferation of the gospel occurs because of that. God uses those yeah. those key movements of low points to to uh, to accentuate and, and, and to expand uh, his kingdom. Um, so we, we've kind of been using church history here um, as, as a, almost a placeholder. And I, I, I was wondering if you could define what you mean by church history. Are, are we just talking about lengths and periods or, or are we talking something specific here? So I would say church history is the study of God's people from the creation of the church. Because we're not looking at, you know, what happened with the Jews in 220 BC. We're specifically looking since they left Jerusalem, really, since the creation of the church, what have the people of God, you know, been doing? And I think it's actually important that we say that because this could mean, because a lot of times we think of church history, we think, okay, this means, you know, especially a lot of people will be like, okay, so from the 1500s to 1800s, so that, that is the only window. No, it, it also includes Catholics. You know, there's a lot of debate over whether we should study Aquinas. We've had an episode on Aquinas. We've had an episode on Anselm. We have done these people because we think it's worth knowing what they said and what they've contributed and what they're doing. Uh, we also, that doesn't just mean Christianity in the West. We are doing a big series right now on the story of Ethiopia, and we think that that should also be studied, even if you don't agree. Well, the Ethiopian church today is probably not Christian. I don't kind of agree with you on that, but <laughs> I still think that there was a time when there were many Christians living in Ethiopia. We can't, you know, the same way we wouldn't judge Rome today based on Rome 1900 years ago. I don't think we should just study Ethiopia today and say that's the way the church has always been. We make a pretty compelling case that there have been different periods of church history where Ethiopia was quite close to God and other periods where they weren't so much and they kind of have gone back and forth just like the West has had the same experience. And I think that I'm not trying to say broaden your horizons. I'm not some ecumenical who thinks anybody gets in, but I do think we need to acknowledge again that there are people, you know, as much as I want everyone in my camp, I think my way is number one, but recognizing that as God has used people it's been from a broad scope of people. And even the people he's using today might not be the same, you know, people he's going to be using 200 years from now. They're all believers in Jesus Christ, but other countries come and go, you know, other 
uh, denominations come and fall, but God's church moves through history and guides history. I'm not a post-millennial. I do not believe that the kingdom of God is coming. But yeah, I'm just saying church history has been, is, is just so much, it's just the way that God has been using history throughout. And I look at the way, if you read the Old Testament, one of the hard parts sometimes is that God will kind of repeat the same story um, a few times. I love the Bible. The Bible is perfect word of God, not saying it's not, but sometimes you're like, if you read it through like in a year, you'll be like, yes, I'm rereading. It's like a review. Like, okay, I remember that part. We're going, oh, we're back to Moses. We're talking about Moses again and what he did. That happens over and over again. And yet God clearly painstakingly reminds his people, Stephen the martyr, all the way through, like we started with Moses, we're getting out of Egypt. Look at how God took care of these wandering souls, <laughs> et cetera. This happens over and over again. God does painstaking detail to remember the acts of his people to the point that at one point it's like, and they passed a city with 70 palm trees. I mean, painstaking detail. It's one of the reasons I don't like people who are like, well, the Bible's not meant to be taken literally. Like it's just opinions and we're just kind of, no, no, no. It did ridiculous amounts of detail, how every genealogy, what hill they're from, everything is so incredibly detailed. If God paid that much attention to the people of Israel, don't you think he's been paying that much attention to his church, the bride of Christ throughout the last 2000 years? He cares a lot about what his people have been up to. And it is a great encouragement to us when we learn about them. I'm not saying it's on the same level of scripture. It's not inspired word of God, but God has been using his people. And we as believers can be mightily encouraged. And it's a great testament to our faith as well. Apologetically, I think a great underused resource is just look at what the church has been doing and look at how much they have done and changed. Um, too often people say, well, I, you know, the, the classic canard, I believe in Christians that they really believed in their word. Fine. Don't take my word for it. Take George Mueller's and D.L. Moody's and Charles Virgin's and take Jonathan. Ed. Take these people who lost everything, but continued faithfully. Take John G. Payton's, take Gladys Aylward's, let them be the witnesses to Christ. Do you think that they could have lived like that? Because I tell you what, I don't see any other faith that has close to as many martyrs, close to as many social causes that they have cured themselves, close to as much desire to missionize the whole world. There's nothing like it. Now, there are other faiths that want to spread their message throughout the entire world, but only one faith will go to every tribal island and convert their book into their language, write down their language for the first time, hand it to them and say, this is the book you need to know. And that is Christianity. Yeah, one of my many problems with uh, "God Is Not Great" by Christopher Hitchens was the fact that he he seems to have a, a a very giant blank spot in history where he says, you know, the Christianity has has done nothing but all these terrible things, and then yeah. you you just have to go, are are you looking at the past like twelve minutes? Because uh, <laughs> it, you know, if 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 you want to take that as 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 the scope of the entirety of of church history, then um then I mean, you know, okay, so you don't like that. Uh, certain people don't like pigs. Uh, write a whole chapter about that, uh, which is in there. Uh, but uh, but the the very fact that um, if if you look at hospitals or the very fact that uh, liberals can use universities against us now uh, are yeah. are because uh, you know Christianity is the one that founded them for the elite class of of people that were to to preach the gospel to the to the common people. Now, oftentimes, the very tolerance that they 
used against us, whether it's Ethiopia's tolerance towards Islam in its earliest days that then allowed Islam to be Ethiopia's number one enemy for 18, like 1600 years. Um, the very tolerance that universities allowed of different ideas so actual ideas could be discussed is now being used against us. Where'd they get that idea from? It came from the Christians. We said, let other ideas come to the table. We'll win in the world of ideas. And then their side can't win in the world ideas. So they have to use force to overcome uh, because in general, it's just not one through arguments. I know they don't like that. And even just, uh, you mentioned Chris Richens, but in a historical example, because I keep saying like history, church history is forgotten. If you've heard of Dan Carlin, he's a very popular uh, historical podcaster, big name. He recently did an episode on slavery. It's got a lot of great information if you're interested in learning about slavery. He mentioned Christianity and when it came to the part of bringing slaves to the new world and stuff like that. And then when he talks about the end of slavery, he never once mentions Christianity. And I go, how can you talk about the abolition movement and not mention the fact that all of the original forerunners of this movement were Christians? You might as well talk about how eugenics happened and not mention the fact that it was Christians who said you can't do this to people, yeah. but they always leave us out. Yeah, and and not not just uh, halt uh, halt slavery, but then send military resources to stop slave traders from from going out and and abducting more people. Uh, you know, if 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 this yeah. was just oh uh, th this hurts the 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 working white person in England, why are they then getting on military ships yeah. and, and going out and saying uh, no no more. Uh, yeah. One uh, of the reasons David Livingston could move through Africa was because he was British and Africans were going, no, the British don't slave trade anymore. In fact, they're trying to stop the Portuguese. And that gave him a little bit of a pass where other people for hundreds of years had not been able to do so. Why did David, well, David Livingston also worked in the slave trade and Henry M. Stanley, his protege did in the slave trade in much of that part of the world. And he, I mean, to the degree that's ever been ended because it's still in that part of the world, but to the degree that it was international, <laughs> they ended it. And yet you would, if you were to read a historical secular textbook, or you were to hear the same lecture of how to fight slavery, the Christians would be exempt. And at the very end, they'd go, but Christian nationalists are bringing back slavery. I go, bringing it back. We're the ones who ended it. We don't have any desire to bring it back. Right, right. Yeah, that's uh, amazing. And and the very fact that the, the abolitionists were the, the, the first people most likely to get killed and lynched uh, yeah. during, during their time uh, is just yeah. a, a great, I mean, Again, I, I go back to what we learned in in history. I, I knew about the uh, abolitionists, and you know, if you if you uh, take a, a show of hands in, in any class, and you go, okay, who would be an abolitionist? Everyone would raise their hand. But yeah, no no one appreciates the 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 culture of the time, the 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 the, the movements at the time, and just how unpopular uh, abolitionism was. You know, we, uh, there, there's there's a really great movie called uh, Young Mr. Lincoln, uh, where he's got this like. Uh, looked up to the heavens speech and it's a great speech and it's a great film. Uh, and it, it's all about, you know, the, 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 the common, uh, the common, uh, uh, you know, ancestry of man and, and how we're all there. But then when, when you realize, um, just how, how, um, how little that took place over the preservation of the union, uh, that that's where we kind of get this for lack of better term, whitewashing of, of history where, where, we, we we always want to be seen as as the good guy in in history, and I think we keep supplanting ourselves rather than appreciating like just how unpopular these movements were. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, Athanasius Contramundum, we stand against the world. I would be there too. Yeah. You don't understand what that means to have the entirety of the Roman Empire coming down mm -hmm. on you and kicking you out 
from, you know, if, if you get kicked out of your city for whatever reason, that would be weird. But I mean, no one moved more than three miles away from their cities at a time. And so you're like, okay, go into the wilderness. It's like, that was truly the wilderness and good luck surviving. And then do that five different times all because, you know, you won't pinch the, pinch the salt to, to, uh, Caesar or, or the, Mm -hmm. the church leadership at the time. No, we, we, we really think we, there's a quote by Martin Luther. I'm going to totally butcher it. So forgive me, but it's something to the effect of, if you say you'll hold every four, you'll hold every, you'll hold every fight, except every battle, except for where the culture is current. And I'm, again, I'm super butchering it where the culture is warring the hardest right now, then you're a coward. You're worth nothing. Oh, great. You hold the Nicene Creed right now. We're battling over whether boys can be girls and girls can be boys and whether marriage is in between a man and a boy. But I'm great that you hold the Nicene Creed. That's wonderful. That's not where the battle is happening right now. Once we get back to that battle, that'll be great. There are plenty of people who say they hold certain orthodox facts, but when the war is waging on, they're on the other side, right? Like they don't care about the children in the womb, or they don't care about that person being made in the image of God, or they don't care about that slavery or this and that. If you want to know whether you would have taking the hard, unpopular stances, just look at your life. Are you taking any hard, unpopular stances right now? And I I get it. Some people are going to go, I want to, but my job, I want to, but this and that. I'm in school. I completely understand that there are times when your circumstances make it very difficult for you to speak the truth. I still encourage you to try to do the best you can because we will be judged and held account for everything we do and say and everything we don't do and don't say when we should have. And it's never been a better time to be a Christian and stand on truth because we're not fighting um, some of those really tough battles where it's like, wait, well, you know, wait, was this, uh, man, I didn't really know scripture and pour over the Greek to understand some of these terms. I don't want to eat bugs. I don't want to eat dead bodies. And I don't think little boys can become girls. We've never been, it's never been easier to stand for truth. If it was as a good Christian enough for say, John the Baptist, I'm sorry, but locusts are, are, are the way to go. And um, yeah. they'll, they'll, they'll use those passages against you. They'll, they'll happily <laughs> use everything they can, but it's never been a better time. It's yeah. also never been easier in my mind. I don't think it's ever been clearer to see how much the leadership of our Christian world is disconnected. So, so we live in a very interesting time. Um, I'm trying to think if there's ever been a time, maybe the Catholic days, it's been maybe since the Catholic days, where the leadership, the Christian leaders, if the world were to point to and point it out at our leaders, are so completely disconnected from Christian living and so completely disconnected from the the man on the street, the, the average person living and walking out their faith. Our leaders are not really what they say. And yes, God always said you'll always have, you know, wolves in sheep's clothing. We've always had charlatans. But has there ever been a time where the number one bestsellers, the number one music, the number one everything has been coming from charlatans and these fakes, basically? Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying every single leader is. I'm just saying a lot of them really are. And yet the good news is it's also never been more clear. You cr- People know a Christian when they see one now. They're the guy who's not who's getting a lot of hate, but you're, it's very clear to be able to distinguish yourself these days too. So, you know, it's a bit of a good news, bad news. The bad news is there's lots of fakes. The good news is if you're the true and authentic Christian, you you will be seen. And this is a very good time for your light to be seen in the darkness. It's not fun to live through those kind of eras of history, but you're not the first. The Puritans had to live through in the late 1600s when they had to go out to barns five miles away, walking there in the dark to preach the gospel. We have it pretty easy still. It's going to get harder, I think. But again, we have it pretty easy and you can hold on. And you're not being oppressed by an institution calling itself Christian, like in the Church of England or the Catholic Church or some of those, you're being oppressed by an institution that very much knows it's not Christian. And so the the dark the stark contrast between us is clear as day.